Allshore, so good to be here with you today. I want to invite you, if you're with us in person, will you stand and join us? We're going to worship together and just celebrate Christ who came to dwell among us, came in the form of a, a baby, uh, the humblest form possible, and chose to live among us so that he could set us free from sin. What an incredible thing that God has done for us, and we just want to sing out our praises to him today. So let's sing out together.
let me invite you to take a seat just for a little bit here. We are so glad that you're here. We are going to celebrate baptism today. Yes. There we go. I love it. So we have over 20 people being baptized between all of our services and a good portion of them here this morning. And I want to make sure that we just have a picture of what baptism is, something to help us, whether you've been around the church your whole life or whether even just being here is new, that we call baptism a sacrament. It means it's a sacred way that we remember and live into what it is Jesus has done for us. And so what the picture is, is a picture we have for all of us who follow. It's an image of going down into the waters. Jesus came in humanity and went into the depths of our despair, our sin, our brokenness, and meets us there. That's the picture of going under the water, that he literally came in the flesh to die and meet us in anything, in any way, in every struggle we've had, both those we've created and those done to us. And we come out as he came out with new life, that the idea is we're both met by him in the despair and given new life through his death and resurrection, and then his presence, his spirit, lives in us. And so any who've been baptized, any who follow Jesus, you're kind of renewed in your own beauty of this when we celebrate it with others. It's also a pattern for the way we see that we live, that God continually reveals to us and meets us in an ongoing way in those depths of our own sin, of our own struggle, and continues to make us new and reshape and renew and reform us. And then for all those being baptized, it's a very simple declaration that they actually believe in their heart that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and they're following him as their Lord and Savior. That's what we're celebrating today. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. I'll have you stand again. Those being baptized will come over here, and you will be able to see it on, on the screen as we worship. We're going to sing over them as all of heaven sings over each one as we follow and serve him. So let me pray for this sacred time together for each of us. Lord, I ask that you would meet those being baptized today in a wonderful way. Whether it's even experienced or not, the sacredness of what happens, that you breathe new life, that they solidify and declare their own faith in you, that you'd continue to shape them. This would be a place with which the foundation is, that you continually redeem, restore, transform, sanctify us. And then I pray for all of us here together in the midst of it, that you would help us to be part of what is going on and to both celebrate and also to live into what you have for us as well. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I have you stand and before we have them get ready, one final uh, thought just for you because I got to read through all of the stories of each of those being baptized ahead of time. And I was taken by how many of them commented on how a big part of their faith has been their own families and their church family. In other words, while it's something we do individually, we're making this declaration. It's something that we together are part of shaping and celebrating and living into, which how great that many of you have come with your, your families themselves, and then we together are the church family celebrating this. And I don't want us to miss, this is communal as well as, as, well as personal. So let me invite you to stand. You're going to worship, and those being baptized will come, and we'll do that together. Everything around me is shaking. 
This is what we get to experience with you. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of what we've been able to see, the, the declaration of those individuals who've got into these baptismal waters, God, and have declared their faith and said, God, today I publicly take a stand for my faith. God, we celebrate that. We celebrate you in them and you working in them. And Lord, we know that for every person that's in this room today, your hope, your desire, your dream for each and every one of us is to experience the life-changing, transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray for anyone who is here this morning or is watching online that is feeling the tug of your spirit, that God, they would respond today and know, Lord, that you are there, you are faithful, and God, you are able to meet every need and every want that we have. And so God, I pray for those of us who are here today who maybe don't know you, who haven't experienced that relationship that we just witnessed before us. And Lord, we ask that you'd open up their eyes and that they would see you very clearly today. And Father, for the rest of our time together this morning, we pray your blessing on it. We pray that your spirit continues to be here. Challenge us through your word today. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Wasn't that awesome? I got to tell you, I'm standing back here at the end of the line. It's so fun to see a line all the way across the front of the stage and people are being baptized. We are blessed to be a part of their stories today. Well, I just want to say a warm welcome to you today. For those of you who call All Shores your home, thanks for being here. If you're a guest, especially want to say welcome to you Thanks for being here. We would love to get connected with you. And one of the ways that we do that is if you would fill out that connection card that we have, you'll find the QR code on the seat back in front of you there. If you just put your phone up to it, it'll take you right to our connection card. We'd love to know that you're here. And actually over the next three weeks, we're starting something a little bit unique. We recognize as a church that we have a lot of people who come through our doors during Advent. Maybe you came today to see someone baptized. And if you're a guest today, we wanna to encourage you to come and greet 
greet and spend some time with us after the service today. We're having what we call Newcomer 9. The reason we call it that is we want to take just about nine minutes of your time, tell you a little bit about the church, introduce ourselves. If you have any questions about who we are, we do have a gift, which is some incentive to stop by there. But we'd love to have you come by when the service is over. You'll find us in our guest reception area. I'll be there. That's the room to your left as you walk into the lobby. Double doors there. Please stop by and say hi. And uh, we'd love to put a name to a face and just greet you that way. Also, want to let those of you know who are regular tenders of all shores. Christmas Eve is coming up. You know that it's one of our largest services that we put on all year. And there is a large need for volunteers to help at each of those services. And so we'd love for you to just consider that. Maybe you want to serve as an individual. You could serve collectively as a family. We want to talk with you a little bit about what that looks like. And you have an opportunity today as you leave the service, also out in the lobby, to sign up uh, and be a part of that. You'll find two tall tables in the middle of the lobby and then one over the connection point that have those sign-up sheets. We just simply want to know that you're interested and maybe if there's a service, particular service that we're putting on that you'd be willing to help at, We'd love for you to just sign up, let us know that. We'll get in touch with you, find out where your interest might be. We won't put you in an area you're not comfortable with or want to be in. We'll put you in a place that you'd, you'd want to be a part of. So take time and uh, stop by those sign-up sheets before you leave today. Uh, again, finally, we want to remind you this is the time in our service when we receive our offering. You can do that. You can give online. The, the online link is uh, behind me. Or again, you can also give if you're here in person at Spring Lake. Uh, the boxes are next to each of the doors. You can place your offering envelope in there. We know it's kind of getting to year end. For some of you, that's an important time of year to catch up with giving. Maybe it's a time you might want to give something extra, but consider what that might look like for you also. Well, as I said, Christmas is coming up. Christmas Eve, we've got a lot of exciting events coming up in the next few weeks. Take a look at the screens and find out a little bit more about uh, those things. Thanks for being here.
Well, I want to welcome those joining us online and all of you here in our Spring Lake campus this morning as we are in what's called the second Sunday of Advent, the season of Christmas, and we've titled the series New Beginnings, where we learn and basically started fresh, this idea of God bringing new life and what it means. It's the beginning of the church year. Before we open the scriptures, I simply want to invite you to pray in the quiet, that we believe when we open the scripture, it's not about information or persuasion. It's really about revelation, that ultimately God might speak to you even through our conversation, our interaction over the scriptures. And so whether you're with us and you have lots of doubts and skepticism, whether you'd say you're in the beginnings of discovering faith or even somewhere in the murky middle, we're like, I, I'm kind of dry right now all the way to full-on fired-up engagement. Wherever you are today, simply ask God to speak. I'm going to give you a moment in the quiet to pray, and then I'll pray for us that God would speak to us together. So you pray in the quiet. God, I thank you that you speak even in silence, sometimes more in silence. I thank you that you care for each person who's with us, whether physically with us or online or we'll watch later. Lord, I thank you that you meet us with our doubt and confusion, with our full on fire for you that you're here. And so, Lord, anything I have to say that's not from you, I pray it'll fall to the ground, it'll be forgotten. I do ask that whatever is from you, that somehow you'd whisper, prompt, encourage, inspire, convict, challenge us. Lord, I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and our actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're in this season of Advent. It's considered the beginning of the church year because we begin with Jesus, with Jesus coming and living actually God in the flesh coming to be with us. And so over these four weeks, we're looking around the nativity, looking around the story of Jesus coming and looking for new life, looking at the different players and how new life comes. And I want to ask this of you, that you kind of look with two different sets of lenses or two eyes. One eye, we just want to look and become enamored with what happened, that what happened is true. It's mysterious. It's unexplainable, crazy cool, and it's changed everything. On the other sense, I want you to look and realize the very story of Jesus coming, of Mary literally carrying him, is also a metaphor and an image of how now that Jesus has lived, died, rose again, that he not only forgives, but he gives us his spirit, his presence. And where does his presence reside? For those of you who are from here, you should know, where does Jesus' presence live? In us. In other words, we carry his very presence, which again is crazy, mystical, wild, but amazing. Even when I watch people getting baptized, I'm kind of overwhelmed by it every time. Just watching and seeing in someone's eyes that they get it, and they're excited to respond to that. So you're going to look with one lens saying, what might God be saying to us? And I want to take us to where we began in this series, which is uh, we started with one story, and we're going to look at another one today, and they kind of work together. So I want you to consider it this way. This is to give us a little frame around it, is I want to take you back to the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And hopefully you're familiar with it. There have been lots of iterations of it. But if you're not, we know the, the basic story is Goldilocks 
is this young girl who goes into a house that is not her own. They don't even talk about the illegality of all of that, but basically <laughs> she goes in and sees some bowls of porridge and she goes to one of them and she says, oh, this is too hot. Ouch. I know you're looking, that's a terrible version of Goldilocks. Listen, it's the one I got, so you're just going to live with it right now. And then she goes to the next one, probably the baby's going, oh, it's too cold. And then she gets to the one in the middle of the mom, she goes, it is just right. I love this. And she slurps it all up. And this goes on to two other things. She goes to these chairs. One is too hard and too large. One is too soft and too small. And the middle one is just right. And then we go to the bed, same thing. Now, the image of this story, while it has lots of messages, one of them is there's too little and too much. There's too old and too young. There's too hard and too soft. This idea that extremes are bad and we always want to be in the middle. And let's be honest, that's usually how we frame everybody's view of anything. Well, they're kind of extreme on that one. I mean, they're way too here, and these people are too there, and I'm right in the middle where Jesus is and everybody else. So we kind of look at things that way, that there's a reasonableness to how we live. But what I want you to understand is in the story of Jesus coming, it is crazy about extremes. And in fact, the story that Thad led us through last week is a story of Elizabeth and Zechariah who are way too old. Yes, they're too old. Thad made it very clear to us the word, literally the word means They've seen many days. They've seen many days and months and years and scores, and it goes on and on, right? So in the story we looked at last week, they were way too old to be a part of this. It made no sense. And this week we're going to look at Joseph and Mary who are way too young. Both of the situations are unexplainable. One who has a barren womb and one who has an empty. It doesn't make any sense like Jesus comes through a door marked no entry. That's the beauty of it. But I want you to understand it in the context of these extremes that ultimately, so last week when Thad taught us, Zechariah and Elizabeth goes through something that really is, it's a th- something for every Christian to understand, which is they go through barrenness, meaning they have a dream they had for life that never came to be, and it makes no sense. And in a, in a really simple way, God has disappointed them. But their journey leads them to acceptance and to trusting him even when it doesn't happen. In case you don't know, that's a journey all Christians go through. We treat Jesus like he's a bit of a, of a genie for us. Oh, if he really loved us, everything would go well. And yet the true journey of maturation is one that things go are disappointing and difficult. And what we see from their story is by being faithful, God brings a new dream and a new life which I still have to say, while it's amazing and they have a kid in their old age, does that freak anyone else out, the thought of having a child when you're past the years of having children? (laughs) Yep. I get tired just watching grandchildren. I love them. But it's clearly that you're made to do this when you're younger. Amen? Yeah, okay. I just thought we'd start there. So that was last week. We looked at this idea of being too old. Now, I want you to see both of these together before we look at Mary and Joseph because This also has a bit of an image for us in our current culture of generational problems. Because what do we do when we're older? We look at the young ones and we say, oh, they are just blown by the wind. They don't know what they're doing. They're taken by culture. And then the young ones look at the old ones and say, oh, those people are so stuck in the mud and they're dead tradition. And we go back and forth. Too old, too young, too old, too old, too young, not mature enough, way too mature, too closed, too open. And, And the beauty of this story is it takes two extremes that don't seem to work together, and they do. We have too old and too young, and together it is too beautiful. And so while it's not central to everything going on, it definitely has an application for our lives today. Can we just say amen to that? 
I mean, we live in a time when we are so divided and generationally probably more than ever. And so even if that's part of what we grab from this, I think there's a beauty. Because you have to ask God, now why did you pick a couple way past and a couple way too early? And he just goes, listen, I knew when it got to the 2000s, these people are going to be just obnoxious to each other. It's not really what he did, but I thought I'd add it. No extra charge. All right. So we're going to get into to Mary now. And I'll take you back, if you weren't with us, with Elizabeth and Zechariah. What happens is he is a priest. He's going to go into the temple to do his part. And it tells us an angel visits him. And this angel is named Gabriel, one of only two that are mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures, Gabriel and Michael. So he's a very significant angel in terms of listings. And he tells them that God's going to move and all these great things are going to happen, even though they're too old. And sure enough, at the end of this story, Elizabeth ends up pregnant. And that's where we take it up. She's now six months into her pregnancy at the next juncture in the story. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. I always like to picture Gabriel back at the throne because that's where he's supposed to be. He's hanging out with the Lord going, six months, seriously? Could we speed this thing up a little bit? Like, I have no idea why it's six months. That's something I'm going to ask the Lord when we get there. You're like, hey, six months, what was the point? Those first couple trimesters, you don't want to mess with. We're going to wait till the second one's over. And I don't think that's it, but I apologize in advance for the dumb joke. All right. So now he goes to a town of Galilee in Nazareth. And by the way, this is an off-the-beat place. It's not central to where, definitely not Rome is or, or the Jewish culture either. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we're going to get into Mary's story mostly. What I want you to, this is just an interesting add-on for me. So Joseph is a descendant of David, and the Messiah comes through David's line. Now, we're going to find out that it's not Joseph's kid. So that means that Jesus is a descendant by legal right, not by biology. In other words, he is in the line of David through adoption and legality. That's just amazing in case you don't know. Because we talk rightly about us being adopted children, and Jesus himself is adopted into the line through this legal right of marriage, not through bloodline the same way. In case you don't get it, that is wild. Because it means our adoption is not unnatural. That's how Jesus did it. Oh, come on, that's awesome. Don't worry, I'm excited for all of us. You guys can just pretend like you're still asleep. Because that's pretty cool, in case you don't realize. I mean, okay, thanks, good. Over here awake, over here pondering deeply. Yes, that's something I'm going to ponder, but not going to show any emotion. Because I'm West Michigan, we don't do that here. Okay. All right, so her name is Mary. This is giving us the story in the beginning. Now it's going to continue. The angel went to her and he said, hey, greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I don't know if it's like this for you. When I read these passages, they often kind of feel a little bit like, hey, they're toned down. Like an angel just shows up, no big deal. Greetings. <laughs> greetings, earthling. <laughs> you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The words themselves actually mean more than this. So when it says greetings and favored, these two words are from the same root and it basically is the word for grace or crazy cool. That's what I like to think of it as. So what he's saying is this is amazing what happens. Even the greeting is supernatural. And by the way, favor is supernatural. God is for you and he showed up to meet you and see you. You know, think of it this way. Like, I don't know how many of you have been watching any of, well, it could be either, whether you watch the soccer stuff or the football stuff. But when they introduce teams, there's always this crazy music and they pump you up, right? Artificially with all this. And you get pumped up. When an angel shows up, no artificial pumping required. An angel showed up. That's crazy. Greetings is like, whoa, God is for you and he's here. Boom. I just want you to get that's how wild it is. Again, over here, a little awareness of it. Over here, 
you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Maybe I'll think about that later as passively as I can. Okay. We keep going. I love her response. <laughs> Mary was greatly troubled. <laughs> I think that's the understatement of a lifetime. Um, Mary's looking going, okay, I didn't have any edibles. I didn't do anything else that artificially affected me. What is happening? This is wrong. And his words, and then she, I thought this, she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's not like she went to an artist and went, now there's this greeting, you know, when you just say hi, yes, how you're doing, you don't really mean it, just hi, how are you? And then there's the bigger one. This is like, I've got no grid for an angelic visitation and meeting. What does this mean? You waking up now a little bit? Okay, good, good. I just, I'm here. Don't worry, I've got enough energy for all of us. I will eventually, you'll either just turn me off or uh, stop listening, click. But I'll keep going. Okay. So this is where she's at. She's there. It makes no sense. And, and, and I want to be clear, even with you, about her story. So what you may not realize, so Joseph and Mary are part of Israel. They, uh, they, had, a, they had a heyday 400 years ago. And after that, in the last 400 years, they have been in exile. In other words, there were two places that people went in Israel. One was all together and one was dispersed broadly. And they're starting to get to come back, which God promised. But they have 400 years of not being a people. So do you know how many great-grandparents you'd have to have to get to 400 years? You're talking 20 generations, in case you don't know. I mean, even if you guys did your, uh, your ancestry thing, you might get to three. 20 generations of hopelessness. 20 generations of thinking you've been forgotten. 20 generations of such deep poverty. And these, this couple in particular is so poor that all they can offer when it's time for the sacrifice and Jesus is born are two, turtle doves, two doves. Normally, they offer an animal and a dove, but they're so poor they can't even do that. They have nothing. You, you think that they had a dream? Like, you, you think of how we talk today. Oh, I mean, we're getting married. It's going to be amazing what's going to go on. We're going to have all this stuff. We're going to be up and to the right. Our lives, our dreams are... There was no thought of an individual dream back then. They lived as a part of a community, and they were anonymous. Mary and Joseph, he was a poor carpenter. They didn't have much. And they had no illusions that things were centered around them, which, by the way, we live in a very opposite area, don't we? We are so shocked when we're not the center of everything. And in case you thought you were, I'm really sorry. But you're not. None of us are. So I want you to get it clear. She's troubled. Like, what is going on? This is way out of our grid, and it shouldn't be happening. Not only am I too young, I'm too unknown and unseen and unnoteworthy to ever be considered. I want you to think of it this way. This is where we apply it to our own lives. Do you ever think God doesn't notice you? Or God's not interested in you? Or if he is, it's only to call you out on things. You're just watching the story because it's not who he is. <laughs> he cares. We need to know the same way he paid attention to Joseph and Mary. He knows you. And you. And you. All of us. That's part of what we see in this. Even in how she's troubled and not knowing, she just doesn't get it. But she's still somehow in the midst of it quite enamored. Now, what's going to happen is the angel's going to respond, <laughs> and I love his response. 
hey, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible and its history, anytime God shows up or an angel shows up, some manifestation of God's presence, people are always scared. <laughs> Which I think is so foreign to us. We think Jesus is a nice dude walking around with us chilling. It's all good. Like we have no real reckoning of his majesty and holiness. And if we do, then we look through a lens of his disapproval and anger and frustration with us. So what she gets is don't be afraid. And then she gets, you, you have favor. God's for you. You have favor. God's for you. You have favor. God's for you. Do you have any idea how God is for you? I, I think we don't believe it. I think we look at him as perpetually disappointed. But he comes to her and he says, you have favor with God. You literally have his attention and his interest. He is for you. And so far, he's just saying you're going to give, you're having a son, and it's going to be, he's going to call him Jesus. But what's going to continue is what this means. Now, you may not be aware of this, but he is now going to give us images all from the Hebrew Bible, all from Israel's history that pull all this together for her. And so while we aren't accustomed to it, I'm just going to explain a little of that to you. He says he will be great and called son of the most high. In other words, he will be a divine son. He is from, of, and is God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Oh, you've been in bondage for 400 years. There's a new kind of throne coming, and it's coming back, and it's coming better than you ever saw it. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now make no mistake, people misunderstood to think that was a government and a political kingdom and we'll come back another time to how it comes and what it comes. But what he's saying to her is, what I'm going to do, what God is going to do, will make no sense, but it will answer what you've all been waiting for forever. Oh, come on. That's better than Michigan winning the championship yesterday. <laughs> I know for some of you it's not even a good thing, so whatever. I just, I've had a lot of years of pain. I just had to vomit out a little bit of good right now. All right. I love her question, how will this be? <laughs> I'm a virgin. This makes no sense to me. Now, what I want you to be clear on is she's not saying this with doubt. She's saying it with confusion. I don't get this. How does this even happen? And there's a distinction because Zechariah has doubt, and he ends up not being able to talk for a long time because of it. So it's very clear. She's acting more, asking like, I believe. I actually believe what he's saying. I believe him, but I don't get how it will happen. And now he explains it again through images in the Hebrew Bible. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, this child will be divine, will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Now the picture here answers some questions. People think of this as God actually, uh, that this being a more intimate act in a way that it's not. And what it is, is this is an image when God's presence shows up in Israel in particular times, there's a cloud that covers them and they can't see and they can't stand and they can't do their duties. Like there's a time when the temple's built and it literally says the glory cloud fills the temple and they all fall down. <laughs> they just lay on the floor. Uh, we can't see, we can't move. And there's other times that they're just overshadowed. And what he's saying is there's a supernatural act that's about to happen just like it has at other times where the Holy Spirit will come and overpower you. In other words, what's going to happen will be divine and you can't explain it and you won't even understand it. Come on. And you know, I always laugh. People are like, that just doesn't make any sense. As if to go, if I can't intellectually understand it, it can't be true. 
Here's the other alternative. You're just not that smart. <laughs> and neither am I. I. I mean that to offend all of us, not anyone. You could be a, a brilliant genius, and I still don't think you'll understand it. What he's saying is, you can't understand, it's going to be crazy cool. It just is. And he's saying it's like it's been before, but it's in a new way. Now, it continues. Even Elizabeth, I love this because he now gives her a, a tangible way to know, hey, I just want to make sure you know this. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. <laughs> He's going, listen, you may not believe this, and I'm just going to give you a little help, so you will. You know your cousin, the one that was barren that you watched your whole life, everyone's thought was scandalous that she must have had a sin. That's why she didn't have kids, which is what they thought back then. It's not true. And by the way, in case you don't think this can really happen, go see her. Because <laughs> she's pregnant and it makes no sense. Remember, too old, not too much. That's what he's pointing to right now. And then I love her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the part I want us to see today. You know what she says back? I'm yours. Servant, by the way, means slave. It doesn't mean just servant like I work for someone. It means I am literally yours. Everything you want, everything you are, that's who I follow. That's what I follow. That's who I live for. That's, I am your servant. In other words, he's saying, she's saying, I'll be yours. Or we might say it this way, let's be his. Now, it begs a simple question. Are you really willing to be his? Like, can we be honest? How many times do we go, I'll live for God as long as? I'll live for God. I just don't want it to cost me too much. I'll live for God as long as I can still have the future I want, as long as I can still do the things for myself I want, as long as my family succeeds the way I want, as long as I'm comfortable and not put into a place of pain, as long as it doesn't cost me too much, as long as I don't look stupid doing it, as long as... Fill in anything you want. It didn't even enter her mind. I'm your servant, whatever you want. And maybe today, part of new life is just going, God, I'm yours. I'll be yours. I don't even know if I can do it, but I'll be yours. That's what she says. And then she actually believes he's going to do it. May your word be fulfilled. Now, what follows is she's going to end up going to see Elizabeth, who's a few villages away in Judea. She'll walk in, and Elizabeth will hear her, this older woman that now is has, with child six months into her pregnancy. And when she hears Mary, John, the baby inside of her, will be filled with the Spirit and will start leaping around inside. Whew. You thought it was funny to see a baby kick? How'd you like to see one that's filled with the Spirit and starts doing somersaults? Come on. I mean, she was clear. It's not like, oh, I had a little too much pizza today. He's moving more. It's like something just happened. doesn't make any sense, but I know it's God. That had to be wild, didn't it? Like she knew something's happening. This is it. What we were told about John doing of preparing the way, that way is through you, Mary. It's coming through. You're the one who's going to carry the Messiah. We have no idea how she knew it other than supernaturally. And so now Elizabeth is saying to Mary, Mary, I, I can't even believe God would let me be part of this. I'm the one who's too old, too forgotten, too forsaken, and I get to be part. And Mary's looking going, I'm too young and I'm not even ready and I don't know what's going on. And then what happens is, Elizabeth gives her a blessing, and this is the last thing I want you to see. She said, blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See, what's great, Elizabeth sees the miracle is that Mary actually believed God was going to do it. 
Because you really understand. Basically, God told her, you don't have any rule or reign. You're really young. You don't know what you're doing. But I'm basically going to give you the Son of God. Supernaturally, no one's going to be able to explain it. She didn't even know how her husband-to-be is going to respond. Does that strike anybody as going, come on, I got about 18 questions before we take this another level? And she didn't. And this is what I, I love about this. I'm curious, if any of you ever made a decision when you were younger that it turned out to be something powerful, but at the time, if you'd have known what it cost, you thought, I would definitely wouldn't do that if I knew better. I do that. I may look back and go, a lot of the decisions I made, had I really known the cost, I might not have made them. So this is one of the things I've concluded. I think God picks us when we're too young because we don't know better. <laughs> and I actually think that's good. Because guess what? I'm 58 and I still don't know better. It's an illusion that I do. It's not like, oh, I'm mature. Now I make great decisions. They're not horrible decisions, but I still, you know, I'm like, I love the fact that he picks people that are too young because too young is something God loves. And in case you don't think that's true, let me just tell you a few other quick stories in the Bible. Did you know he picked too young of people often? That it's not new for him? It's not like he went, Oh, I'll do it. He picked Samuel. Samuel's a dude that's going to be a prophet. As a baby, his mom, I think he's not even maybe 10 or 11, and she just takes him to the temple and goes, have at it. 11, that, does that seem like a bad idea? There's a woman that he makes, Esther, who becomes a queen in an oppressive culture that she is told, hey, just go tell the king, at risk of your own death, which is what can happen if you even ask to talk to him, that he better spare your people and the bad things are going to go on. Teenager. When's the last time you said to a teenage girl, hey, the whole weight of the, our, our whole culture relies on you. Would you go risk it? And I trust that'll go well. Did you know that there was a dude named Josiah that was eight that God made king? Eight! I don't even let the eight-year-old have a phone to themselves. <laughs> Here you are, king, have at it. Are you getting the picture? Do you know the disciples, the ones that Jesus pulls closest to him, were probably dropouts of the rabbinic tradition, and most likely somewhere between 12 and maybe 25 at the high end, but probably more likely under 20. Are you getting the picture that God likes it to be too young? Do you see that? I mean, God's been taking people that are too young all of history and saying, I'm gonna change the world through them. I start to go, what does that mean for us? What if you and I started looking at people that are too young and instead of saying, oh, they're just in a bad place and we really need to help them going, God might change the world through them. What if you and I started believing that God wants to move through them? And we started blessing and cheering on and encouraging. And all we say then is, would you just be his? That's all we're asking of you. Would you just say you're mine? Man, I got to believe most of our young ones, they want to have somebody to live for. And they know the mess they're living in is not worth it. How about if you and I, as older ones, start saying, God, we want to bless the younger ones because he's going to change the world through them. What if you and I start looking at the people our kids and our students and going, I think God has vision and dreams for their lives instead of, oh my goodness, how are we ever going to fix them? What if we start watching people that are his and we start believing for them what he's going to do? Oh, can you see how the world would change? What if we as older people said, God still wants to move through us. It's not our best days are behind us, but God actually wants to do something to break through now because this is what I'm also convinced of. We might be older, but we still could be walking around in a little teenage spiritual body. Like we just have always procrastinated on it. Maybe later. Maybe when I get to retirement. Maybe after the kids are grown. Maybe after I get through the season. Maybe after I make enough money. Maybe after. 
God, I'm right here right now. Maybe we're saying it's too late and I never could. And you go, no, no, it's never too late. <laughs> Come on. Elizabeth had a kid and she was old. It's never too late. It's never too late. Okay, thanks. Yeah, good. <laughs> this is the simple thing I want you to get. I think from the story we hear, be his, believe him, and live it out. I think we're just being invited to be his. I think like Mary, many of us think we are a forgotten people or forgotten individual that God neither sees nor cares nor is interested in. Or at worst, we think he's watching, kind of keeping track of our failures to go, oh, you blew it there, I'm disappointed here. What he looks at, he sees all the brokenness and goes, oh, I want to help change that in you. Oh, I want to help forgive you for that. Oh, I want to bring my power and my spirit to help you change. And we keep doing it on our own, hiding or discounting it. Instead of being his. Instead of actually believing that he wants to change us. You know, one of the joys I have when I get to baptize people is I look at them and I say, this baptism is your foundation. God forgives and he brings new life, but it's also the source of how it grows. Because God will keep taking depths of your life and forgiving and finding more things with you and loving you in them and not just forgiving, but bringing new power to transform you out of them. And you will grow up in him. <sighs> Sometimes I... I wonder what we'd look like if we could see our spiritual age as we looked at each other. You know, there was an old movie, uh, Father of the Bride. They've, they've done it again, I think, since. But there's a scene in there where he looks over at his daughter and he sees a little kid. And uh, sometimes I fear that we've never believed God would use us and we're still little kids. I'd go, you know, I, I used a girl in a way that had no pedigree or power or prestige or even acclamation to this, and I changed the world through. Man, I want to do that through you. I want you to be mine, he's saying. I want you to believe that I'm for you, and I'm going to help you, and I want you to start walking in it. Not tomorrow, not a week from now, not after the next thing you get through, right here and right now. So we try when we open the scriptures to give you a place to respond, and I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything. I want you to contemplate. And I'm just going to ask the Lord to speak to you. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit, I think, speaks. And it may come through a thought. It may come through an idea, a, a picture, a person, some step he's calling you to. But I'm just going to pray now. Holy Spirit, speak. And even as he may be already, I want to give you a couple of things to consider as I ask him to speak. Maybe for some of you, you really have never believed that Jesus actually cares and his life, death, and resurrection are for you. So maybe today, being his is just receiving his forgiveness. Maybe if you would say, Lord, I'm, I've got darkness and forgiveness both in thought and action I could never make up for. Would you just come and forgive me? And maybe it's just asking his Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you fill me and lead me? Help me to find new life and to walk out in this. Help me to believe you're actually for me. And then maybe for some of us, you're not fully his. Maybe you've got a sort of things that have to be met, a criteria before you'd be that. And today, the Holy Spirit's saying to you, just let go and be mine. Maybe you hear the very words, I'm your servant. You want to say that to him, I'm your servant, Lord. I don't even know what it means. Man, I want to be like a teenager that doesn't know what I'm saying yes to. <laughs> I think it's so much better than I can imagine. 
and I don't think I could sort through all that it means to do it. And then for some of us here, it's simply the call to step into it. It's not waiting. It's not maybe later. It's not wondering if he's good to me. It's actually believing he's for you. So maybe you sense the Lord saying, I'm for you. Take a step. Maybe he's prompting you to read scripture and just start entering into discovering his presence as you read. Maybe it's beginning to pray, beginning to get with other believers and grow and mature as a Christian. Maybe it's how you'll love people around you, a step you'll take at the office tomorrow or into school. Lord, whatever you're saying, I pray you'll speak. I pray we'll listen, we'll believe, and we'll walk into it. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. We try to give even more space when we finish so it's not just a message and you have a few minutes to pray, but we worship and we actually celebrate communion at this time. So I want to invite you to stand. Carter's going to lead us really even in one of the Christmas hymns as a proclamation. We're asking Jesus to come and be with us. And then I'll guide us through communion as part of that as we close out our time. seated for just a few minutes. We want you to know that communion here is open to anyone who is pursuing, wants to follow Jesus. If you're part of a tradition that doesn't allow for open communion, we're not pushing you to be obligated to, but we want you to feel welcomed. If you came and you probably had a cup and it will have a top layer that has some bread and then a 
lower layer that has the lower layer that has the drink, the cup. Just like baptism is a sacred activity, so is communion for us. And so it's a very simple picture. The church has been doing this from the beginning of our days that we'd celebrate regularly. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body and it's given for you, that we receive what he has given, his life, his hope. And by the way, Paul tells us that we're one loaf. It's the idea that when we take it, we don't just take it alone, we take it together because we're the body of Christ together. We're not alone in this. We all receive collectively. Let's take of the bread. In the same way, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And one of the beautiful pictures we have from Israel is on the night they first celebrated this, they took this bitter root that they ate before they took the cup. That was a reminder of the bitterness of slavery because they were in slavery to Egypt. We're reminded of the bitterness of sin. And the cup is a sweet taste that washes away through Jesus' forgiveness. Let's take of the cup. And our desire and prayer is it's simply a grace God gives you when we celebrate this together. So Lord, I'm asking you would give grace, you would give your presence and your hope to people, even through this sacred activity. In your name, Lord, we pray, amen. Let me invite you to stand as we close out our time, really closing out with this great hymn that we've been singing. give you a blessing before we go in just a moment. I want to invite you back as we continue this series in the season of Advent next Sunday. We also have online, a, a, it's a devotional that Christianity Today put out that's a great opportunity for you to engage with us throughout the week as well that you can access that way. Let me have you place your hands out and give you this blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit. Oh, may you know his favor you know his love and belief and longing to be transforming in your life and may you walk into it as you are his for his glory and your joy in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen